0: And I think a thing that comes with old age was a lot of pain, you know. He used to tell you about, oh, like, I had a daughter that died. I wow. saw my my mother die. So he was dealing with a lot of grief and feeling alone. Like, everyone who was my age is now dead.
1: Hi, I'm Dina, teacher and reluctant puppeteer turned host of La Bifana's Table, a podcast dedicated to the art of sacred hospitality where each week, listeners are invited to feast on real-life stories of hope and healing, as well as soul-nourishing conversations with folks from all walks of life who are utilizing their gifts in both small ways and large to make the world a more beautiful place. So pull up a seat, tell some friends, and become a part of a legendary story. Welcome back to another episode of La Bafana's Table. I'm your host, Dina Gregory. And today I have a very special conversation for you with Victoria Half. Victoria is someone I met over the interweb. I think I first saw a piece of her artwork and some commentary in a Facebook group, which I have to say, even though social media can be a total drain on our energy if we don't use it intentionally, Having had the opportunity to connect with Victoria in that Facebook group and then later having this conversation with her and now introducing her to all of you, it is one of the reminders that if we use this darn thing intentionally, like the ability for us to be able to connect with people from across the globe and learn from them is just, uh, I don't know. It's one of those things that I'm like, okay, every time I want to throw technology out and like live in a hut with the fairies, I'm just equally amazed that I get to connect with people like Victoria across the globe who's living in Italy. And I want to go visit her. Anyway, let me tell you a little bit more about her. Victoria was born in 1988. She's an artist from Mexico City. She married into and became a mother in Calabria, Southern Italy. She currently lives in the small town of Mota Filacastro. Vivo Valentia, learning from an old tradition of mutual aid in one of the poorest regions of Europe. I may mispronounce that, bad Italian-American I am, but that's all right. Arangiandosi, making do, like most people do there, and exploring her own diaspora and the diaspora wound of the land. She's currently learning from embodied knowledge, cycles, memory, tradition, landscape, and community. She's inspired by the resilient anarchism of nature, Latin America, and indigenous forms of resistance, folklore, tales, and magic in the everyday. And with a bio like that, needless to say, we had a rich uh, and in-depth conversation that I am so excited to share with all of you guys today. So let's jump right in. Victoria, so you were just telling me the story of your last name, so I would kind of actually love to hear this. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Okay. So my full name is Victoria Hernández Acuña Fujiwara, which is very long and also hard because I have a Japanese last name. My third last name is Japanese. And usually in Mexico, we just have two last names. Okay. But since it was gra- my grand great-grandfather on my mother's side and like he had my grandmother and then my grandmother had my mother. So it was running through the female side. It was going to get lost. So my mother was like, I don't want these last name to get lost. So they bribed the judge. Yeah. I go, come on, <laughs> let us have the third last name. And it has caused me so many troubles, like bureaucracy wise, because it's always like, why do you have a tree? How is it spelled? You know, so I go by, by Victoria Half just because it's easier for all of us, you know.
1: I love that. What do you think was the the driving force? What was so important for your mother that that aspect of the name was not lost?
0: Obviously, ancestral connection. You know, I think that's a common theme that um, runs through all diaspora children that our lineages get lost, right? Mm -hmm. So in Mexico, like for mestizaje, is sort of like whiteness. You know, like Mm we in Mexico are all mestizos. So we we'll lose the threads of our lineages, mm-hmm. and the one that my mother had very clear was like this Japanese lineage. Wow. She's actually learning Japanese. She's like very passionate about like these root, like she has, yeah. and yeah. So she was like, "No, we have to keep the Fujiwara," and and she actually told me, "If you have a child, you won't be able to like." Have Fujiwara as his last name, so you have to name him Fujiwara. And I was like, I am not going to. <laughs>
1: and you're like, okay, mom. <laughs> I'm going. Some boundaries here. I understand your passion. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. So, can you tell me how you've gone from Mexico to Calabria?
0: Yeah, full places, right? From Mexico yeah. City, like one of the biggest cities in the world to Calabria. And, and not only that, I'm in a small town called Motafilo Castro, that we are just like a hundred people here. Like when my parents came, it were like a hundred people can enter not even a building, you know, in Mexico City, such a small, small scale living. Okay. And uh, I married into Calabria. My husband is Calabrese. Okay. We actually met in Barcelona. And then we were like, first in Barcelona, then Mexico City. But when I came here, I really fell in love with Calabria, really. It was like a missing piece, like something you don't know you didn't have until you meet it. And you're like, oh, I've been missing this my whole life, this connection to land. So when we were in Mexico, I was always thinking about Calabria. Like, what are we doing here again? Like, why aren't we there in Calabria, right? Because when I first came here, I Rafael took me to their land. They have like uh, seven acres. And, and for me, it was like, what? Like, you can own land, you know, because I'm third generation from Mexico City, Chilanga. So for me, it's like... If you own an apartment, you are lucky. If you own a house with a little garden, you are like, wow, no, but owning land, you know, owning a walnut forest and mm. olive orchard, it was like, uh, like a fairy tale come true. Yeah. And um, it really called me, you know, because there's like, you can find seashells. You just like go through the land and you find these ancient seashells from millions of years ago when Calabria was under the sea. So, every piece of Calabria had so much depth and it resonated so hard with me that I was just in Mexico City working nine to five and just thinking like what am I doing here what am I doing here so we were like we we are very spontaneous like we met and we decided to get married on the spot and then we were like let's go to Calabria to live and just (laughs) threw our I love it. You don't live with a what if. You just uh, live through it. And if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. But at least you lived it.
1: Yeah. And so there is, I mean, because Mexico, obviously, is also rich in in terms of the land. I mean, obviously, Mexico City, very different. But it's interesting. So do you feel like the land was like, embracing you yeah
0: totally totally like calabria has mothered me in a way like calabria is my mother-in-law but she's like an awesome mother-in-law also my Mm mother-in-law is awesome i'm I'm actually before talking to you i was like cleaning some produce my mother-in-law gave me like she gave me green beans and she gave me tenerumi that are like the the shoots of the zucchini and okay. like she, she always brings me stuff and like for example I love Mexican food like for me Mexican food is the best food in the yes. world but in Calabria what I have experienced with food you know like I don't know eating a, a food directly from the tree and it's warm and it's so sweet it's really a communion right mm-hmm. so for me it's like oh Mexican food is the best but food in Calabria has shown me God right oh. so it's it's very different <laughs> and uh, and yeah, like the, the depth of the connection that you find every day, you know, like just eating a, a dish with pasta and olive oil. But you know that you worked for that olive oil, you harvested it and you know the trees and that depthness in just every day. It's like, yeah, it's so special. It, it makes everything sacred in a way. And for me, that's the way to live.
1: God, that's beautiful. <laughs> so can you talk a little bit about what is, help me if I pronounce it Magia? Agreste, is that how you pronounce it or
0: yeah for me it's my way of devotion I guess through art I'm a graphic designer by profession but since I've been here I have not been working in graphic design I have been developing myself like I am Mexican in spirit so if they ask something of me I'm like yeah I can do it I can make it work you know I have never done it but <laughs> I-, I won't tell it so I have been painting saints, statues, like these giant heads you've seen. And for me, it was like, wow, it's turning into something much more deeper than before when my job was to make sure we were, I don't know, making marketing images or logos or, or stuff like that, that seems superficial. Right now I'm making images that people are devoted to are used in feasts. So for me, like that's a uh, magical, that's a way of devotion. And I chose the word agresté because it means cultivated. So it is tied to land, but also human relationships. So it's like these, uh, in a sort of opposing forces between human and land and how We try to work with it. Like when we started, when we came here and we received this land from my parents-in-law, I was like, I don't know what we're we're going to do with this land. I don't know if we're going to make like a farm or just live here. So I was like, I will do what I know how to do. And I'll make a shield for this land, you know, just Mm -hmm. because. And I was like, okay, what can I do? Like I can put like an olive branch or walnut. But I realized like every tree can be cut. But what's the one plant you will never get rid of? And that was Blackberry. Like she is invasive. You have to cut her twice a year if you don't want to find yourself with a wall of thorns. So I was like, yeah, that's it, right? She she will be here like no matter what. And also I was very into wildness, you know, because we were not going to be able to cultivate the land as it was cultivated. Like you have to, I don't know, pay one person to bring the tractor and then you have to fertilize and then you have in summer, you have to water the trees. And we were like, we cannot do that. You know, we don't have the money to to do that. So we're going to let it sort of like go wild. And for me, it was okay. Like, let's use a blackberry, just a spiral to represent it. I didn't think too much of it. But then over the years, it has developed. Like when I found the rosary, it was like, oh, wait, like blackberry is in the rose family. So it's actually like a wild rosary. You know, it has the thorns, it has the five petals. And um, if you ask blackberry... That's sweet how do i grow roots she has what it's called adventitious roots so she th- throw these shoots and if she finds land there are points where the roots are waiting like advent you know like the waiting at- adventitious roots there are points inside the shoot that are called adventitious like it's the same word as advent you know yeah. like the waiting for jesus we do mm-hmm. in december so Adventitious roots are just waiting for the right conditions to grow, you know? Ooh. So we have those, right? We grow roots wherever we land. You just have to throw your shoots. And if you'll find fertile earth, you will grow those roots, right? And for me, that was a teaching of Brambles that was like, hard. as a diaspora. <laughs> Coming from diaspora, it's like, wait, I can I have the capacity to grow what I feel as a void, like to work on my relationship to place. So it has Mm -hmm. been like a journey where I found myself, like my wounds, my generational wounds now seem a gift. When I was first looking at this void of identity, I was so scared. I entered crisis. I was like, What am I, you know? And Mm -hmm. now for me, it seems like a gift, the gift of possibility, the gift to imagine something else. Mm. Like we have to walk that liminality knowing we are not from here, we are not from there, and we will never be. But that's a gift in itself. Being able to walk that liminality is a gift, and especially right now where I feel we we are very lost.
1: Yeah. I think... as a society. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I don't know. It's... uh,
1: I mean, I think that's really important, and I and I kind of sense that as as something that is in the kind of collective, right? There's this: who am I? Where do I belong? And I think there's so much of like, a, you know, there's a large identity. I think a lot of people are in an identity crisis, you know. And it's like I can grasp onto this label for a second, and I I've, this label and this label, and it still does not satisfy. So to me, it's like I have found more healing in in regards to like finding my place rather than asking who am I <laughs> it's like where is my place and that can be an interesting question if you're if you have that more nomadic spirit or if you are finding yourself in a place where you are you know you're different you're other
0: yeah but we, we don't we are always in transition it's not yes. like we even the people that stay in one place it's not like they stay still and then we are constantly transforming yeah it's like the storytelling you know I know that's a theme you, you have yeah. in your podcast, which I, I really love. Even the same story, when you tell it one time and then to another audience, it changes. So yeah. we're never the same. And when we start developing in a way like our own narrative, our own history, it's just constantly moving. Mm. Yeah. And it's also like just being pulled about what you love, like you said. Like, you, you're interested in that, and you are sort of making these conversations, thinking just about what you would like to know, and then that resonates with other people, right? When we follow our heart's desire, uh, new things arises, and, and things that will ripple with other people. And uh, I have a beautiful story that I want yeah. to share, because, well, I am obviously very pulled to Italy, to Calabria, to this land. So... Uh, last year, we took a DNA test, just yeah. for fun, just out of curiosity. And I was like uh, 16% Japanese, which I knew for my great grandfather. And then I was 16% Italian, which I had no idea whatsoever. I don't know anyone in my family who was Italian. Like I connected it with my father. My father never, never knew his biological mother. He was, uh, his mother didn't want a child. So his uh, grandmother, his paternal grandmother was like, okay, give it to me. Like her name was Dominga. She was a Leo, so super protective of the family. She was like, you don't have to worry. Give it to me. I will grow it as my own. So my father never knew his mother, like not even like a photo, not even her face. So that's like a huge wound, you know, the mother wound and I feel like she she, he was always searching for his mother in our faces like the things that didn't were like my mother's he was like maybe my mother looked like that you know and when I told him like you know what I am 15 percent Italian and it probably is in your side because that's the only side we don't have like a clue about he was so shocked he like Stop talking and he needed to process that you know and then my mother called me like you know your father is like having these dreams and talking in his lip and saying like oh I'm Italian who would have thought you know and uh, it was like when he could process it he was like you know what that land was calling you because you had to develop that relationship that we didn't know about so it was like Amazing. Like I don't know if it it's true in the sense I, like we are not sure if like uh, he had like uh, grandparents who were Italians, but like that's just a beautiful story for me. Like I am healing the wounds of my
1: father. Mm. By truly like by following those longings and yeah. inner impulses and that don't, that don't make any it. sense that make yeah. no there's no logic to it.
0: And they teach us like exactly like that wound is the possibility to imagine other ways like you could never imagine that because it was like unknown so you can feel that unknown with so much stuff and that's precious that's a gift actually
1: can you expand on that a little bit in, in terms of maybe the role of imagination and in kind of healing these these wounds or like is that something that you pursued specifically or is that something that you've just kind of discovered through your own journey like the the kind of role of imagination
0: Well, I guess I am very guided by intuition. Like I've said, I'm very spontaneous about stuff. Like, yeah, this feels right. Let's jump into it. And like then it it just gets charged with meaning, you know, like when you look at it, you're like, oh, yeah, I did that because of that. So I am really wanted to trust in that who you have, right? Yeah, like the work I do with images, in a way, I, I really like like studying it and like looking for sources and really expanding upon like that research but I'm also at the place where I really truly believe in destiny I believe in magic I believe like in everything like devotion right like with uh, the way of the rose i think like that was our connection for me since i started praying the rosary that catholicism is a whole nother thing with me like pushing away of catholicism like no this is terrible and then being like okay if you say it's mine maybe it is right like i can Just as we were talking about storytelling, we can take Catholicism, take these stories and make them our own. We don't have to follow dogma. You don't have to follow rules. You can just like go with it and go with what it feels, right? What saints call you, what stories call you, you know?
1: And to know that you're a part of these stories, you know what I mean? Like where, you know, that's where La Bifana has been an incredibly healing figure for me because it was like, oh, I'm in this legend, I'm in this greater, this greater story. And it's not, you know, and that is what has been the most healing for me, not getting it right, or doing what's right or wrong, or, you know, busting through those kind of dualities of, (laughs) you know, and not trying to be like the, a holy person, but just trying to be whole and trying to live my life in a devotional way that, (laughs) that, that feels authentic. But it's, it is interesting. I've definitely connected with a lot of other people who are like, I can't totally get away from the Catholicism, (laughs) but let me embrace it. (laughs) But then like when
0: you, you push away the things that, you know, like are part of your identity, you're left empty handed. So you like, you start pushing everything and then you're left without nothing. And instead, if you work with those things, even if they are problematic, you like can change them. We have like the power to change these stories, you know, to transform them. And like, obviously in Mexico, it had like harder connotations because like Catholicism is tied to genocide, to colonization. So like, obviously it's like, it's supercharged and coming here, it's just exploring it in a new way because you're here, like the church is so small. It's like literally the heart of the community. It follows the cycles of the year, you know? So you start just seeing it in another light, like maybe it's not that bad. Or just like, I don't know, praying the rosary or seeing a way of devotion to our lady as like a mother, a sacred mother that, or like Jesus, like so much uh, just to talk about, like just last week in uh, San Giovanni, I actually went on a planned walk with a friend I met through Instagram, Lisa Fazio and um oh
1: okay i haven't met her yet but i wanted to i want to talk with her (laughs) she's awesome she's
0: awesome she's uh, a herbalist so i was like plant walk let's go and it was obviously very into san giovanni and the magic of these herbs and i and like they were explaining stuff to us and it was very interesting because like san giovanni is the only saint we celebrate his birthday usually we celebrate the death day when we celebrate saints but with san giovanni it's his birthday and there's actually another giovanni there's giovanni battista and giovanni evangelista and we celebrate battista in the summer solst- solstice and evangelista in the winter solstice so these two san giovannis like hold these two opposing forces and giovanni is very near janus that was like the roman god of thresholds of doors he mm-hmm. was two faced He had like an old face and a young face that could be even more feminine. So he had these opposing forces, and his name comes from the Latin Janus, that's door, and we actually like this word Janus gives us January. January is like the threshold moment because winter solstice has passed, and before like the renewal of nature, we have like this time that is very liminal, you know, and who comes? In January, we have La Befana, who is mm-hmm. just like another uh, mythical figure of liminality, of initiation, of this period that mourns. And like, she brings the gifts. And I guess one of the gifts is mourning, you know, is that pain, dealing with that pain. Sitting at the table with that grief is a gift of La mm. Can
1: you expand on that? What, how does she allow you to sit at the at that table with that grief of that time for, for you? Well,
0: I see her as the old winter crone, right? So, like we have several uh, winter crones. We have uh, the trifates, fates. We mm-hmm. have in Calabria a, a doll, a calendar doll that's called corallisima. That's like the word for quaresma, yeah. and uh, these are like old ladies that represent like this winter. You know, like the year is ending, so she's old, she's tired, and she's waiting for renewal. So yeah. she's like this old branch that's mm-hmm. dried up. And the gifts she brings, like uh, before candy, they were like fried figs or yeah. walnuts or uh, almonds. And those are seeds. So like you plant those seeds that it's actually like tradition to plant the seeds before All Saints Day. So you plant them in this moment where we are like on relationship with the with the dead, right? We put them on the on, in the underworld. You bury those seeds and they have to enter initiation because they're like in, in a space where, like, just blackness and they need to transfer. They they need to break. They need, oh. like, to die to renew. And mm-hmm. so she sits with that, you know? She's just at this time when, where there's a stillness where you're just waiting for renewal. And, mm-hmm. um, like, Corallisima, like, she is considered like her husband is carnival. So when carnival dies, she comes and she comes in black. She is a widow and she is like mourning him. Oh. And after seven weeks pass, like it's Easter. So we like we are happy again. Like uh, Quaresima Lent is a period where you can be like sort of more reflective. Yes. Like I, I love we have that in Catholicism, right? We have a period of 40 days where we can reflect and we can like fast, we can experience the power of hunger or, or of lacking of our wounds, and out of that we will be renewed in yeah. Easter. And that is Catholicism, you know. That's the way I have experienced Catholicism here. So I'm like, wow, this is beautiful, and this like, <laughs> like it's the way to link yourself with the cycles.
1: What are these traditions? You know, before we run to technology completely, like, what are these? these traditions that keep us in a in this tactile world where we are where we can celebrate the rhythms of life a little bit more and and go with these natural rhythms instead of the wild god of productivity
0: <laughs> yeah like just sitting with with grief it's it's yeah. very hard it's something that it's obviously not rewarded in our society it's like just forget it just keep going and instead when you sit with grief and with it, that pain it's it's hard work, and it's not pretty, you know. I yeah, know, but that's <laughs> what waters agree. the seeds, so it's needed. It, it's like a part of love, yeah. Like we need that time off, and that time, like, just to reflect, to think, and to be sad, also, and to
1: do that collectively. And I, I think you know, where like in Italy or somewhere else, that they, the, they haven't lost that collective way of being. That I think. Yeah. So many of us, you know, in the United States, I'm in New York City, this like wild urban <laughs> thing where there's like millions of people and yet everybody is lonely. And we don't, you yeah. know, we lose some of that, those collective rights where we can go, okay, this is a time for us to be sad, but sad together. <laughs> and this is the time for us to rejoice and do that together. So I feel like there are distinct places that have these abilities to, to preserve these, these traditions that remind us how to actually Be human, (laughs) like the human, (laughs) do the human thing.
0: Yeah, being here in Calabria has been such a lesson in community because like we talk a lot about community, but community is hard work, you know, because you have to make community with people you don't like, people that think uh, like completely different from you that maybe don't like you. And you have to be like, okay, we're still going to work together, right? Like being in this small town where we are just like a 100 people. It's like, even if you don't like someone, you will see him. So it's like, okay, I have to deal with that, you know? And it hasn't been easy at all. Like being in community is not like, it's not idyllic. Like, oh yeah, there's people holding you and helping you. No, sometimes it's very hard, but yeah. like it's worth it, obviously.
1: It's worth it. And it's what allows society to, fun- I mean, like to function, like how are we going to kind of be together? But there is the- that like unsexy part of it. It's like at the end of the day, no matter how intentional or spiritual or whatever that is, we have to deal with each other's strengths, quirks, some of those things we're going to like, some of them we're not going to like, but ultimately, how do we care for each other?
0: Yeah, exactly. It's not about being with like-minded people. It's being able to be with people that are completely different to you and still work together and still take care mm. of each other.
1: Yeah, because I think you really bring up a great point there because a lot of us like, we're a like-minded thing. And then we end up in these little vacuums of oh, everyone just affirms what I believe and My opinions are great. It's like (laughs) like like-minded community. You're like, you know, but how do we, so how do you find that, you know, obviously a town of a hundred people is different from a metropolis of, you know, what Mexico city is and what New York city is. But what are some of those lessons that you are finding in a hundred person town that you think, can be like, a like, there's
0: lessons every day like just my my neighbor her name is julia she's like a senora she's like 60 and she's always challenging me she's like why are you here you're wasting your time this is like a terrible place to be right and i'm like no this is paradise this is so cool but like when i see the world through her eyes mm-hmm. i'm like okay you're right you know because she has She was grown like a a woman, like she was forced in a way to perform this domestic labor. So for her, it's not just like idyllic. For her, it's been like, I I have never worked. I have to just, I cook for my husband, be a mother, be a nonna. Like I don't have any freedom to do stuff. Like this town is getting empty and it's like scary for me because I don't have my community holding me and uh, like it's going to die she's like this will be a ghost town and like it's so sad uh, like for her and it's so hard for her and she sees it like that she doesn't see it as like yeah I'm coming from the city and I am just used to another life and for me this is this is better because I don't deal with pollution I don't deal with insecurity I like I have like good food like she sees it in another way and when I see her through her eyes I'm like you are right you know you are right And yeah, like just being able to connect with people that are completely different to you and they tell you their stories. Like I had my neighbor who like, who died last year. She was 93 years old, right? And she was hard. She was like very, I don't know. She, she didn't want that anything changed. So, so she was like always saying like, no, you, you, you don't have to do this. She was like uh, very adamant to change. So we always were like uh, clashing. But at the same time, she used to tell me about life like 90 years ago. So it was like so precious for me, like having these glimpses to a life that like happened a long time ago. And the fact that she was like 93 and she had such a lucidity, she was living alone. She was making the pasta with the eggs and the flour just for her, you know, she was just living that life. And I don't know, like I, I never knew life could be like that, you know, all the people being supported, but also like having their independence and just telling you stories because like, obviously they don't have like a lot to do. So they would just sit and tell you of when they were young and like another neighbor who who passed away, he was 97 when he passed away, because there's a lot of old people here, obviously. And he, he used to see it just telling you stories of when he just had a, a donkey and they had like pigs and he used to ride the pig when he was very little. And I think a thing that comes with old age was a lot of pain, you know. He used to tell you about, oh, like I had a daughter that died. I wow. saw my, my mother die. So he was dealing with a lot of grief and feeling alone, like Everyone who was my age is now dead. Everyone who's kind yes. of younger than me is dying or is dead. I'm 97. Like being the oldest, that's also a yeah. loneliness.
1: Yeah. You
0: are the one who has to bury, who has to mm. mourn these people. So even if you're in community and you have like your grandchildren and your great grandchildren, you still carry that grief. And for me, it was like, okay, if La Befana or these old winter crones are like mythical ancestor- ancestors, they carry like the grief of the world, you know, because they are the oldest. And yeah, it's the same with our sorrowful mother, you know, for me, it's like having this figure that deals with so much pain is so <laughs> helpful. Because when you deal with the pain, you have someone that understands your pain, yeah. you're like, okay, our mother, our blessed mother has felt this pain, she felt the pain of losing a child. Lavefana knows pain. So she can sit, sit with that pain and like accompany you and yeah. and that's so important to have those figures that know the pain and can like guide you through it. So,
1: I was also really deeply drawn to your work with the higante and I am particularly mesmerized by higante. I was actually married um I'm no longer married, but I got married in Mexico in San Miguel de Allende mm-hmm. and I had giant puppets. Oh, what are they called there? Um uh, oh, God, I'm forgetting the word.
0: No, they, they have a name, but I'm
1: not... They have amazed. a name, and it's not coming to me. But I had the giant, you know, paper mache bride and groom. There was like a sexy woman in a red dress. I was like, what is she doing at my wedding? But <laughs> <laughs> all of these beautiful puppets and figures. And so then later, I I, I did go to the feast of... um With uh, my teacher, Alessandra Belloni, and we saw the Gigante. The feast of, I think is it's called Seminara,
0: yeah, there there's like a town. Like giants are just common everywhere.
1: Okay. I, I am thinking maybe
0: are they called mohigangas in Mexico? Mohigangas.
1: Yes. Mohigangas. Yeah, yeah. You got it. Yeah. <laughs> that was the word. Yes, we had giant mohigangas there. And I was like, wow, what is this? So now like kind of seeing puppetry in general, I'm just like mesmerized by the whole <laughs> by the whole thing. So tell me about gigantes your calling to kind of paint them, create them, and, and what's their deal in Italy?
0: Okay, so a giganti are a tradition that's like just very common in all Europe, but the way they have come to Mexico and to Italy is through Spain. So our giants are born in Spain in the late Middle Ages. They start as representations of David and Goliath, right? Like for the first century, there are only male giants. And then after a few centuries, they start to represent like the couple, you know, like king and queen and stuff. And if you go to Spain, there's like huge variety. They represent, like, uh, I don't know, demons, cyclops, the priests. Uh, but the way it has been adopted in Italy, it's like just a story, a story of mythic ancestors, you know, sort of like La Befana. So the story goes in, develops in Messina, right? So there's this daughter of a, of a king that's called Marta or Mata. That's just like they're in Messina, and then when pirates arrive, when these Arabs arrive, there is a king that's called Grifone, and he falls madly in love with Mata. And like Mata is like not going to be with him because like, he's so different. He is a foreigner, he has come in a violent way, I guess. So he decides to convert to Catholicism. Mm. So then, like Marta sees like, "Oh, he's serious about it, right? So he, <laughs> she falls in love with him. And they are like the mythical ancestors of Messina, by extension of Sicily and by extension of southern Italy. So they are dance like, that's the common thread, you know, like, they can change the names, but it's always like an indigenous white queen with a black king come from afar. And I guess it's a way they explain the way southern Italy has, like, arranged, you know, it's not as white as the north, So there are like people with curly hair, there are darker people. So I guess it's like, oh, yeah, we come from royalty, but we come from like that, like clash between opposites, you know, like clash Mm -hmm. between whiteness and blackness. And it's, I guess it it can be like a complicated story in a way like, oh, yeah, like these black men coming and taking our white women, you know, if you can like if you interpret it that way. But the way I see it is just like the clash of opposites, because there are a lot of elements that are used to represent these opposites. It's not just about black and white. It's also like male and female. Or you can like use the cross and the moon to represent like Islam and Catholicism. Or also like the moon being like water and the cross being like sun, being fire. So I guess it's like about that creative clash of opposites that just... It's generative, you know. The way we also saw it in like that that plan walk of San Giovanni, it's San Giovanni is also charged with it, with these opposite forces, you know. Like there's the water of San Giovanni and there's the bonfire, you know. Mm-hmm. Like these opposites go together, or, or like we said with Janus, he has like a male face and a face that's more female, you mm-hmm. know. There's creation there, like in that, in like that uh, opposing energies that clash that can be violent can create something new so I see that that their dance is sort of like that and um, I did it by request actually they were like can you do uh, giant heads and it was like yeah I can like I've done a (laughs) piñata how different can it be right (laughs) and and then like I was flooded with giants I was flooded with all these kids that were like "No, no you have to paint mine like you have to make them smile and and what I love about it It's that it's it's something very fresh, very new, you know, these are kids and mostly like boys, you know, there are no females doing that. And I'm like, it's very interesting that boys are very like into a story of love and dance. Like Mm. we have kids that go from eight to the oldest one, I think is 30 yeah. And they are so passionate about their giants and kind of competitive. Like, no, but the, that couple you made is like so good looking. I want mine to be like just as beautiful. Like they, they get really into that. Passionate. Like competitive. Uh, yeah. 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 And they they do these weird steps, like really about showing off, like how how can you like turn and then just like do all these acrobatic movements with their giants because they are showing off really but at and the so end of the so you, you
1: you went through a process of making these giants for multiple people like for the, the kids were in the process of doing this as well
0: I first made a couple for the town I'm living. They were like, oh, there are some children that like them. Can you make the the heads? And I was like, yeah. And like I documented it and posted it to Instagram. Yeah. And then yeah. it was like two years ago and I didn't think much of it. But like on March, a kid like found my video through Instagram and was like, I have to paint my heads. Can you paint them? And I was like, sure. So I painted those heads. And I guess he was like more popular in the like... Uh, giganti circle. So everyone started like coming to me. It's like, I've now painted, I don't know how many heads since March, just March, I painted like 20 heads or more. They are constantly asking me and sending messages like, when are you going to make more heads? You're the
1: giganti girl now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so it, it's interesting, you know, because I think it is a beautiful story. So in these kind of clash of opposites, Right. So how do they become reconciled in this in this mythic story and in these traditions? And how does the, the these kind of clash of opposites kind of become generative instead of destructive?
0: I guess out of love and out of dance, you know, that it's that sacred marriage. It's that just dancing out of love when you see them just dancing together there's uh, sometimes a third character that's or a donkey or a horse or sometimes a camel that tries to run in between them like to separate them but mm. he cannot do it because like their force the force of love is stronger you ah. know
1: <laughs> <laughs> i love it i mean i love that so when i was in italy and and watching this like it was just like i had this moment i actually wrote about it in my in my the end of my memoir and like witnessing the marriage of those puppets and everything, like I got to this place of like really reflecting on my own kind of journey and, and love and, you know, marriages ending and kind of, but like really like what I was after that kind of that eternal love that like continues to, <laughs> to move us forward through, through life. So I remember witnessing just like those gigantes and like the music and the drumming and just, you know, being on my own ancestral land to like going from like Mexico. So, you know, this trying to reconcile a lot of my own feelings of belonging. And I just remember witnessing that and just being just like mesmerized, like one of those kind of moments of like, ah, oh, this is what we're all after. <laughs> this is what everyone is, is after is that kind of the love that heals these, these opposite tensions within ourselves.
0: And they like are part of each feast. Like uh, last week, it was San Pietro and we went with a uh, Friends of an Association to, to actually dance tarantella, and uh, and they were there like just dancing,
1: and they like got, every- so it, this couple, the mythic couple, comes out often. They don't just come out, yeah. For like one.
0: They are always <laughs> dancing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was just so attracted to your, your work, and, and you said like now with um, Magi Agreste. Agre- Magi- Magia Greste, which is now you're kind of expanding that a little bit in terms of gathering other artisans. Is that the vision of where you're, where you're going with your work?
0: Yeah. Well, I've been like, sort of growing like a Brambles bush, just wild, you know? And like another thing about Brambles is that like, she just throws shoots, you know, like just stitching together just pieces that come from different places and Mm -hmm. bridging those gaps between communities. So I have been like invited to a lot of associations, you know, like there's a lot of people doing stuff here. So for example, I'm working with an association called Letarme. And uh, it's like the the president is uh, a doctor. She's a doctor that works in a nearby hospital. And her grandfather was just a peasant. But when he lost his wife, he was like in pain. And he started carving statues out of wood just like doing hundreds of statues. He didn't have like any artistic education, but that was the way he processed his paint. And when he died, he left her, his house and like hundreds of these statues. And, and for her, like being a doctor, she was like, it's just the healing power of art. Like he processed that pain with art. Yes. And he was like, I want to transform his house in a museum, in, in, in a place that will bring culture and art to one of the like places that's abandoned. Like, you know, uh, we don't have like good hospitals. We don't have good ro- good roads. It's like one of the poorest areas in Europe. You know, it's considered global south. Mm. as it is so there's no cultural offers so she was like we have to change that because it's so important to have art you know so she's teaching tarantella she's teaching theater she was like you have to make something for the kids something for the grown-ups and she's always coming up with ideas and like yeah she just involved me into it and I'm like yeah let's do it because I I do believe in this so hard and uh, Like with uh, another association in in my town that's called Il Toco, they're like fighting against the population. They are trying to like show the world how valuable is this town with its history, its traditions. And right now we're developing like... Bringing artists to paint like uh, these abandoned doors, inspired by a novel of a writer that was born here, that's called Pietro Lazzaro. And he wrote like this beautiful novel. I have it right here because I am working on this. It's called Mille Anime. It's just in Italian, it's like a very short book. It's magical realism. You know, when I read it, I was like, why is it? This, this not a classic, like, you know, like a hundred years of solitude and stuff, so- yeah. because it's a beautiful book. And the reason it was not published when he was alive, it was because like the editorial houses in the north were like, no, this is like to Terrone, you know, like this is from so like the south to Terrone, like uh, to mer- Meridional, like the huh. the people from the south that are called Terrone and sort of like... Um, Slur in a way. Oh, okay. they, they were like, no one is going to be interested. We are not going to sell this. So it was not published while he was living. But when you read it, it's like such a beautiful piece that explains so much of why people were living like the misery and the poverty, but also like the saints and the Madonna are like characters. They are not just in the sky. They are like citizens of this town. There's like a, a part that's so funny of San Nicola getting angry at a guy that wasn't taking care of his cows. So he appears in dreams and, like, he has a wand and just, like, starts hitting him. And, like, and everyone, when when he wakes up and he's, like, all bruised, everyone knows it's San Nicola, right? Like, no (laughs) one questions it. Like, yeah, it's your fault, you know? (laughs) So I'm, like, wow, this book is amazing. Yeah, so fun. Like, magical realism. And no one knows it, obviously, because it's just, like, it happens in a small town in Calabria. And, like, the best thing for me is, like, if I go to the church, I can see that San Nicola. You know, I can see like the the characters in the book. And like there's also another fun part in the book where there's a disclaimer, like everything here is a work of fiction. And you go like the first page and it's like everything I talk about here is a hundred percent real. I didn't invent anything, all the people existed, you know?
1: Just like the bizarre absurdity. It's it's all fake. It's all real. It's all this.
0: Yeah, and when I talk about this book with my neighbor la señora Olga, she was like, "Oh yeah, I knew him. Oh yeah, I knew him." You know, like it was it's magical, but people are like, "No, it it, it actually happened." It's actually so, real. <laughs> so we are trying to like bring the images to of this book to like the abandoned part of town. Oh, and God, that's just gorgeous. like painting them and and like we just do it out of love, you know, out of love for this town because we don't have support of anyone. So Uh, I'm just working with that and just like meeting artisans that like do their craft out of love because it's like, I'm not really making any money, but I love to do this. Like I met an artisan from Radio Calabria that does like drums. But when he told me the story of these drums, I was like, we have to sell these drums because he was like, Oh, yeah, when it comes Easter, I just go to the families that kill like animals. So I collect these skins and then I prepare them like I, I just like wash them and stuff. And I make these drums out of these skins and then like the edge of the drum, I give it to a shepherd. And then when he goes like with his sheep, with his sheep he engraves this this drum oh. and then uh, he gives it to me and I prepare it. And I was like, wow, that's like the whole journey. Like this drum starts with a feast and then like goes walking through the landscape and and he's like yeah but no one is wants to pay me like the work is worth like there's a lot of hours put into this and they're like oh no but i can buy one for 30 euros like i won't buy one for 200 euros and i'm like well let's get the people that want to pay 200 euros because this is like beautiful like beautiful. if you like i know they're like this reclaiming of the drum you know as something yeah. that to connect to their roots and i'm like what could be a much more like significant object, that one that was done in place with these materials that was born out of a, of a, a feast, like this is so important, like we have to do it. And she's like, okay, well, <laughs> let's do it. You know, and, and, and for me, it's like, if I'm able to connect the people that are, like are here and are doing this work, that's beautiful, that make me fall in love with it. And the people that are able to like pay what is worth, it's like, that's my job. You know, I am just
1: throwing that Nectar. shoot and then connecting. Thing. it's something that like you know the the way that you have fallen in love with that that story of what it's came from and the process of making it and and all of these things like it brings you to this place of like of what actually matters <laughs> of these like really deeply kind of connected um practices that I don't know that really kind of make this whole thing worthwhile <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's like just looking at the dirt and finding these seashells, like everything is so intentional and so meaningful that for Mm. me it's worth it. It's like just bringing this devotion into every day and knowing like, okay, you have an object that it's just like so charged with meaning and intention and love, you know, and for me it's like we cannot let like this stuff get lost because obviously there is still a huge problem here in uh, in southern Italy, you know, like 80% of young people are still going or to the north or to other places. These crafts are getting lost and it's like we cannot keep them in a museum. They have to be lived, you know, we have to make them ours. It's sort of like giants, like these giants have to be danced by young people in order to keep dancing. And mm. these crafts need to be like used. We need to drum these drums in order to have them be made you know yeah you because to- it's
1: not so- about putting in a museum it's about keeping a living tradition alive it's a living tradition yeah. yeah and i i
0: think like there is a lot of people that want to connect because i found them mainly mainly through Instagram, you know, because I'm working, I'm discovering this land in in my way, you know, like, just making these images that are my, my way of devotion and my way of understanding, right? Because, like, for example, I love dialect. Like, for me, I can just, like, sit and listen to ladies talking in dialect, and like, for me, they can be talking about anything, just, like, the weather, and I'm, like, fascinated about, like, the way they like, thread their words together, and for me, it's like, okay, so for me, dialect, it's like magic, you know, like spells and like proverbs and I've sort of taken it like okay usually in magic we use latin you know you use latin as like this uh language where like when you speak Latin it's magical you know like Harry Potter and stuff but Mm -hmm. what if we took a dialect and these proverbs and made them magical like we we think about them because obviously like there's a lot of discrimination like if you speak dialect you are considered like someone who has no culture like you are not speaking Italian Mm -hmm. or if you speak Italian with an accent it's still a huge part of like this discrimination that southern Italians still like live in. And I don't come from this culture, so I am not, like, aware of all these uh, nuances. But for me, it has also given me the opportunity to say, like, no, this is, like, so valuable. This is so cool. I love dialect. And, like, fuck you for thinking, like, it's not worth it. Because for me, it's, like, amazing. And just, like, reclaiming that and trying to just, like, subvert the the idea that it's, like, ignorant and saying, well, I come from afar and I admire it. And I love the way of thinking and the way I, I... have been perceived as like Calabresi coming to me and it's like I love what you're doing I love that you like value dialect so much because we don't have those images we are usually made fun of or like Mm. perceived as mafiosi or ignorant and that's the images we see of ourselves and Mm. when you make these images where you are valuing like the old ladies and the traditions like that's the first time like you like they are hungry for those images, you know? And me being able, like you said, oh, like right. using my hands to ground these images, to make them real. It's like, I am really doing magic. I am doing like what I what I do the best. Yeah. And just like making these images real, you know, bringing them into from nothing. And now they have these images that they had never seen of themselves. I'm like, well, you're worth it because I admire your way of being. And I am learning so much about like, just being here with you it's a privilege it's an honor to be like accepted and you're like oh you're Calabresi yeah you're 100% (laughs) no it's like Calabresi are, are really like just lovely people like they have teached me so much about community about like hospitality about just like they always feed you they always like are gift givers like Oh my god, I'm so in love with these people, really. And for me, it's like, okay, I cannot give you like the food you give me. I cannot give you all that you have given me, but I can use what I know how to do and like do my best, you
1: know? Yeah, to be because I we need especially when you've had the narratives of you're less than you're this you're blah blah blah. Like you need a reflection. You need a new mirror. You need something that really actually illuminates really who you are, right? I mean, the beauty and the depth that everyone has, you're you're like the shining dignity that <laughs> every human being has. And, and sometimes I think you need a new, you know what I mean? Like you're offering a mirror of like, oh, that's what I am. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and I think that that's an incredible, I think that's an incredible gift. And I love how you said, like, you know, you're an outsider in an other culture that has really given so much to you right? And how do you reciprocate utilizing your own talents to kind of reflect back all that has really fed and nourished your soul? I mean, that's, that's just absolutely I'm like, (laughs) you got me in tears. (laughs) I like this little old lady. I just love it. Because yeah, I mean, there's such a gift. And I think that why I love this, you know, I'm enjoying this podcast is just like, I don't care about famous people. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I want to, there are so many other human beings that need to be recognized and their gifts honored. And, you know, because there's just so many things that we we don't value that are actually the most valuable things. It's, you know, it's like just because our society values and certain things does not mean that those are the valuable things of life.
0: Yeah. And for me, like Calabria is truly a treasure in so many ways like just keeping these traditions alive like this cycle of the year like these processions and for me it's like it has healed me in so many ways like me coming from like a big city and like mestizaje and stuff and for me it's like wait this is amazing let's show other people like just this book like yeah you have to read this book because it's so beautiful and And I'm just like being able to, you know, share what has been shared with me and knowing like, why doesn't like, like sort of the frustration of knowing that if more people knew about this stuff, like we would be better, like in a way sort of like, yeah, like a lot, I see a lot of people trying to connect and I'm like, yeah, like there's a lot in here, like a lot. Of knowledge, of traditions and stuff, and I just want to shout about it, you know. Yeah, I, 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 I,
1: hello. I, I, I... <laughs> <laughs> it has been such a pleasure talking to you, Victoria. We're gonna have to continue this conversation. Please keep us posted on all of the incredible work. Um, can you just share, like, how do people find your work, get in touch, and buy your work? <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, you can find me in magiagreste.it. that's m a g i a a g r e s t e magiagreste, Magia and then there you can find like uh, my newsletter. You can uh, you can actually donate even like five dollars just by paying, so we can do like this project about the doors. Uh, there are my socials, so you can have everything there. And, and, uh, Thank you so much, Dina. It has been a pleasure,
1: really. It has been an absolute pleasure. Bye. Ciao. <laughs> Thanks so much for pulling up a seat to La Bufana's table. To get episodes sent direct to your inbox, as well as other perks, such as access to our monthly community and connection hours, be sure to subscribe to my Substack, dinagregory.substack.com. Ciao.